have a question for you. Would you ever go hitchhiking? What if you went with a friend or someone you know? In the 1970s, hitchhiking was actually very common. However, during this time, there was a serial killer on the loose who picked up female hitchhikers, murdered them, and did unspeakable things to their body. Hi guys, welcome to No Crime Like True Crime. I'm your host, Natalie, and today's episode, we are going to be talking about Edmund Kemper III, known as the co-ed butcher. Viewer discretion is advised. A little backstory about Edmund Kemper III is he was born on December 18th of 1948 to Edmund Kemper II and Clarnell Stage. He also had two sisters named Susan and Ellen as well. Edmund Kemper II was a World War II veteran and Carnell Stage. At the time, I'm not too sure what her occupation was. She thought that his job was menial because he became an electrician and they just didn't have the best relationship. He mentioned that suicide in war times and atomic bomb testings later were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. And something about Clarnell is she was actually an alcoholic and it was rumored that she had borderline personality disorder. A brief definition about borderline personality disorder, it is actually a mental illness that severely impacts the person's ability to regulate their own emotions. Eventually, Clarnell and Edmund Kemper II did have a divorce in 1957. This is when she began to take her aggression out on Edmund Kemper III. She didn't give Edmund Kemper III any attention, pamper him, or give him any affection. What's the reason? She thought it would turn him gay. Yeah, she thought it would turn him gay. I'm not sure where she got the idea from, and she would berate him pretty often. She would say, like, no one's going to ever love you you stink, you're dirty, and all these very mean things to him. She also moved him into the basement because she thought it would man him up. Also, she really believed that Edmund would hurt his sisters and potentially do unspeakable things to them. He moved into the basement and he did get night terrors and nightmares. And he was around 10 years old at this time. Eventually, Edmund started developing all these types of dark fantasies. For example, he did unspeakable things. At the age of 10, he killed one of his family cats. He buried them alive and dug the body back up just to decapitate it. They then had another family cat and he ended up killing it. The reason why? It's because the cat favored his sister over him. This isn't where the bizarre behaviors end. It's just terrifying. There are occasions where he would wait for a squirrel to peek up its head with a rifle. And once it peeks up his head, he shoots it. And keep in mind, he waits there for hours. He sits there and just waits. And one time in the second grade, he had a big crush on his teacher. His sister would tease him and say, you should kiss her, you should kiss her. But 
the way he responds is terrifying. He says coldly, If I kiss her, I'd have to kill her. And this isn't the only bizarre behavior. There is more. For example, like with dolls. His sister has dolls, and what he would do is he would pop off the head of the doll, and he had a sexual thrill off of it. He popped it off, he liked the noise of the pop, and like he liked to hold the dolls by the hair because it got him off. When you're younger, what games did you play? Did you play like freeze tag, red light, green light, or anything like that? Well, Edmund Kemper played a game called Electric Chair. Let me explain to you what it is. So pretty much the participant is blindfolded and tied up to a chair and pretty much he is walked to the electric chair and acts out his death, essentially. So he jerks around as if he's being electrocuted. When he was 14 years old, he decided to go live with his father in Northern California. However, his father was remarried. He and his stepmom did not get along very well, so eventually he moved in with his grandparents, Maud and Edmund Kemper I, in Northfolk, California. He and his grandma did not get along. She reminded him of his mom because she did say things that were very mean to him. Edmund thought his grandma was emasculating and thought his grandpa was weak. He would typically get into arguments with his grandma very often. Edmund did learn how to use a gun because his grandfather taught him. And one day in August of 1964, him and his grandma got into a heated argument. It was just kept escalating and escalating. He was like a ticking time bomb at this point. So during the argument, he stops, he goes, runs to get his grandfather's 22 caliber rifle, grabs it, walks back to his grandma, and shoots her in the head. If that wasn't enough, he shot her twice in the back. After that, he grabbed a kitchen knife and began to stab her three more times. And after a while, he went to sit on the porch and wait for his grandpa. His grandpa eventually drove up to the driveway and walked in. You would think you would think that he's greeting him. However, once His grandfather walked past him. His grandfather was shot and killed instantly. He called the cops and was questioned. They asked, why'd you kill your grandparents? Why'd you kill your grandma? And the way he responds is terrifying. He says, I just wanted to know what it felt like to kill grandma. He also mentions that he was angry at the world. He didn't want to live with anyone. He didn't want to live with his grandparents nor his parents. Eventually, he was sent to a psychiatric hospital and tried as a juvenile. Originally, Edmund Kemper III was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. However, psychiatrists didn't think that was the case because he didn't have the symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia. Like, he didn't have any delusions, any hallucinations. He was very likable and bright, so there's no way. But something about him is that they were very impressed with his IQ, which is 145. Eventually, while he was at the hospital, he administered tests to other inmates to learn more about them. 
eventually time flies six years has passed and now he's 21 at the time of the murder of his grandparents he was 15 so this year is 1969 he was released into the care of his mother and they moved to santa cruz california so something to note is he has a juvenile record However, there were two psychiatrists that Ed seen that deemed him not a threat to society. So his juvenile record was sealed, and he's able to live a normal life. He decides, you know, I want to be a state trooper. But he was denied due to his size. He's six foot nine and 300 pounds at the time. So he decided just to take a role at the Department of Transportation. He goes to this bar very often called the jury room. There are a lot of law enforcement officers there and he becomes friends with them. They like him. He seems like a well-groomed guy, very nice, very polite and respectable. And they give him a nickname of Big Ed and he just becomes really close. They just get along with him really well. Now, we are going to talk about the terrifying part. In the early 1970s, people begin to disappear, mostly female hitchhikers. Since Edmund Kemper does know the roads really well in Northern California, since he does work for the Department of Transportation, he eventually picks up a ton of female hitchhikers, about 100, without any incident whatsoever. Why did he pick them up without incident? He just wanted to make friends, like, around his age, just to, you know, just to not be lonely, I guess. And he just wanted friends. But he couldn't suppress his urge to kill. When he sees an attractive woman, he would have two thoughts. The first one is he wants to take them out on a date. The second one is he wanted to know what their head looks like on a stick. my god. Eventually, he picks up more female hitchhikers, and then he picks up his first two victims, Marianne and Anita. They were both 18 years old and Fresno students. On the day of May 7th of 1972, he picked them up. He seems like a nice guy, and like I said in the beginning, hitchhiking was something that was a very common occurrence. They were just in the car with him and eventually he just took them to a wooded area where he handcuffs them and attempts to rape them. But when he was trying to rape one of them, he grazed their boob and apologized and panicked. He then choked both of them and then stabbed them as well. He stuffs their bodies in the trunk and drives home. However, during this time, he got pulled over by the police on his way home. Why? He had a broken taillight. If they checked the car that night, they would have found the bodies. So he took them home after he was released from the officer and he dismembers their bodies and rapes the bodies of the victims. He then disposed their bodies in a plastic bag and disposes of them. And the third victim 
It makes me really sad to say the victim was 15 years old. So the victim was named Aiko. She missed her bus and needed a ride to her dance class. She ended up meeting Edmund Kemper and he took her to a secluded area. Somehow he got out the car and locked himself out. And keep in mind, Aiko was 15 years old at the time. Or he convinced her to let her back in the car because she probably didn't know how to drive. She was young. Once the door is unlocked, he jumps on her, chokes her, rapes her body, and then kills her afterwards. And while he's stuffing her body in the trunk, he looks at her with pride. Like a fisherman looks at a catch. That's what he says. And in 1973, he picks up his next victim, Cindy Shaw, who was 19, and he picked her up near Watsonville. While she was in the trunk, he shoots her. He then takes her to his place, rapes her body, dismembers her, and what he does next is really bizarre. The reasoning is even weirder. He dismembers Cindy Shaw and beheads her, and what he does next is he digs a hole, puts Cindy's head inside the hole, but her eyes are facing his mother Clarnell's room. Why? Because he says she always wanted someone to look up to her. That's terrifying. And at this point, so many people are on edge because in the 1970s, There were actually three serial killers in total. There was Edmund Kemper, John Lindley Frazier, and Herbert Mullins at the time. So they were active during that time. And Santa Cruz was actually considered the murder capital of the world because of how many people have been going missing and how many bodies was discovered. I will go over Herbert Mullins and John Lindley Frazier in another episode. But at this point, like I said, people are on edge. I wanted to mention that Clarnell Stage was an administrative assistant at UC Santa Cruz at the time. So she gave Edmund a bumper sticker that says UC Santa Cruz. So he stuck it on his car and he meets his next victims. On February of 1973, he meets Rosalind, who is 23 years old, and Alice, who is 20. He convinces them to go so they could hitch a ride. And once they get to the car, of course, they see the bumper stickers. It seems like he's a student there. No need to worry. But once they get into the car, he shoots both of them. So once they get into the car, he shoots them. Both of them. And wraps their bodies in a blanket, stuffs them in the trunk, and drives back to his mother's house. Where he then decapitates them, rapes Alice's body, and he removes the bullets from both of their heads. And this source is from metro.co.uk. He disposes their remains in a bunch of different areas. This is the darkest part of the podcast. These are the last two murders that he commits. On the day of April 20th of 1973, this was around Easter time, Clarnell and Edmund had a very heated argument. And what happens next is crazy. When Clarnell goes to bed, 
Edmund goes into her room with the claw hammer and begins striking her with it. He strikes her in the head, then cuts her throat and decapitates her. And then the unthinkable happens. He rapes her severed head. Then he uses her head as a dartboard and screams at it for hours. He then cuts off her tongue and a larynx. The larynx or the larynx is actually the voice box. And he thought that it was actually fitting because she would bitch all the time. Those were his quotes. He just thought it was a fitting because she would always yell and bitch at him. And after he cuts those out, he tries throwing it in the garbage disposal. But nothing happens. It just gets spit out. So he tries doing it again. It gets spit out because the tissue is not being grind up like he thought it would. At this time, he's cleaning everything up. And his last victim is actually Clarnell's best friend, Sally. He invites her over. Maybe they're going to watch a movie, he says. We're not entirely sure what happens. We just know that he invites her over. And he murders her. Because he thought, maybe I can make up some story. Maybe they went on vacation. They won't know. And he stole her car and drove to Colorado. And during that time, he was like, they're going to know it's me. Because it's my mom. They know I don't have the best relationship. I'm sure that they're going to throw me under the bus. They're going to they're gonna know it's me. So during the drive, he thought that there are going to be a lot of people after him. But... When he got to Colorado, he didn't hear anything. There was no news whatsoever. So, what? Like, he was confused. So, what he did next was odd. He went to the phone booth, picked up the phone, and called the police. And he confessed. But... They didn't believe him at first. They're like, no way. Big Ed would never do that. He's such a great guy. Why would Big Ed do that? Well, they didn't believe him. But he eventually mentioned things only the co-ed butcher would know. So they believed him. And he was like, should I just stay here and wait for you guys? So they did. And... When he was apprehended, they asked him, why? Why'd you confess? We weren't on to you. What, why? Like, we want to know. He says, it's a pure waste of time. It's a pure waste of time. He didn't want to hide. He didn't want to, like... He didn't feel like it had a purpose. and He couldn't handle it any longer so he was eventually arrested and went to trial the trial did take place on may 7th of 1973 and he was um assigned a public defender named jim jackson 
and they tried having him plead as not guilty by reason of insanity to all the charges. And during this time, he actually attempted to commit suicide twice. And his trial was pushed back to October 23rd of 1973. And the psychiatrist that were appointed to him, they thought that he was legally sane. But another one, a different psychiatrist, saw his juvenile record. And there was one point where they thought he was psychotic. So, the psychiatrist wanted to try truth serum. And um, it did not go as planned. So, what happened is so he ended up being charged with eight counts of first degree murder and was given seven life sentences he did want to get the death penalty but that didn't happen so now he is currently incarcerated in the california medical facility and what's crazy is in this facility so there are notorious serial killers at this facility right now named herbert mullen and charles Manson at the time. I don't think Charles Manson is alive anymore. He does talk about Mullins every so often. He says he's just a cold-blooded killer and killed for no reason. And um, from what I know is after the incident occurred, Edmund Kemper did go on to like um, do interviews and all that stuff. And I know that there are a lot of documentaries that came out about him as well. And he was eligible for parole in 1979 but was denied. And there was a hearing in the 80s, but he waived his rights for a hearing in 1985 and was denied a couple years later. So, he was denied parole in 2017, and the next time he's eligible is in two years, 2024, which is terrifying. Like, and he is 79, or he's not 79, he's 74 three years old right now and keep in mind he is still six foot nine i feel like it's just scary and apparently um his stories he was an inspiration for certain movie characters like buffalo bill in the silence of the lamb and in american psycho there was um a quote it says when i see a pretty girl walking down the street i think of two things one part of me wants to take her out and treat her right and the other one wants to know what her head looks like on the stick he does mention that as well there's a lot of shows i didn't even know was about him wild but this is where this episode actually comes to an end I greatly appreciate you guys for tuning into the first episode of No Crime Like True Crime. I am just happy that this episode is finally out. I have re-recorded it like probably five to ten times already. I greatly appreciate you guys. Tune into next week's episode of No Crime Like True Crime where we're going to be talking about the toy box killer David Parker Ray. Stay safe guys and if you guys could leave a review that'd be great just to let me know how i'm doing have a great night guys and stay safe since this episode is releasing on halloween happy halloween and tune into next week's episode of no crime like true crime we upload every monday have a good night stay safe